Good evening, everyone. Um, so just kind of to set expectation as I'm uh, doing this message, um, I would like to first spend some time discussing some of the current world events and more so to underscore the significance of the time we're living in. And then I would frame uh, the rest of the message uh, as spiritual applications. So bear with me as we move through that. So 2020, what a year it has been uh, like no other year that we've seen before. Our world is changing. Our world is operating in a crisis management mode. We've seen widespread measures implemented with uh, policies that would reduce people's interactions and some of those affecting us here. We've seen governments spending an enormous amount of money to borrowing it, rather, so they would spend it as a stimulus for individuals and businesses. So what's really remarkable is that in my lifetime, and I would venture to say in the lifetime of everyone here, we've never seen something like this, to see nearly every country in every continent do very similar things, take very similar actions, as if they are of one mind. This hasn't happened before, and these are independent countries and, and independent governments. By all accounts, 2020 seems like a turning point in the world as we know it. But the question is, what is up ahead? So I'd like to bring to you, to your attention, some other significant uh, movements that are in play that I think are significant and, and, and I would bear your consideration. So firstly, on the financial scene, we know what the Bible says about debt, but the government debt and the, and the debt of all people is at an all-time high. I looked it up, and we're talking $60 trillion, which is 60 with 12 zeros, is the total uh, world debt of all the governments. And that is a number. But when you compare that with the ability to, uh, to generate revenue uh, at 90-plus trillion, you're finding that debt ratio to income ratio of our world is very close. And what does that mean? That means that either now or soon or very soon thereafter, the time will come this, that those debts could not be paid. And if the debts cannot be paid, then how will they be settled? And that may impact us. Second um, area I want to bring to your attention is the geopolitical scene. And in it, there are some disruptive initiatives that are going on um, that are looking to reimagine our world. Right now, by all accounts, we are in a crisis, and the thoughts are, how can the world be better? And though these are good ideas and good thoughts to ask ourselves, where it's heading, however, is looking at reimagining social constructs and financial constructs of our world, um, and I'm not going to get into any of the details, but I will name the particular idea that's gaining traction, which is the global reset. And you know that it's important when you hear major leaders of the country referring to it. So in the technology area, truth of the Bible's prophecy, the knowledge shall increase. Indeed, it continued. And I came across... Uh, this information that in the next year, the, the amount of data 
worldwide that will be generated will be more than the last 30 years combined. That is an explosion of knowledge. That is an explosion of data. And this is the time that we're living in. Um, Generally speaking, technology has just pushed bounds and leaps and innovations and just continued. But what is really particularly of interest right now is that um, because we're in a crisis mode, um, technology adoption takes so much faster. So in other words, some of the ideas that would take long to get enough people or a critical mass to start using are now happening very very quickly. And what does that mean? That means that some of the things that perhaps you may not be comfortable with may happen very quickly. So I want to bring to you three particular, um, I guess, technology or technology areas that I think are meaningful for us to be aware of. So first is... Uh, there are a uh, dozen countries that are actively looking at a, a cashless, cashless society, and that's established by a digital-only currency. Um, as far as I'm aware of, Canada is not, but it's not something that is probably too far away. China is the closest in that. Secondly, um, you may have heard about it, but it's referred to as the immunity passport. Um, what it is is a record that will be required for some countries uh, to go in and out or to even board a plane. And it's as close as happening as 2021 for one country in particular um, and a major airline that flies in and out of that country. So um, last technology thing, and, and then, <laughs> trust me, we'll be moving to spiritual things, is... Uh, Chip implants. You know, 20 years ago I heard about chip implants and there was papers, etc. But now, uh, one very major company in particular is trialing chip implants this year and in doing so in pigs and it's progressing very well. They can, uh, put them in and take them out and the pigs are re- uh, relating to it very well. So, so this looks good. And the aim is to uh, eventually enable a chip in our brains to connect with the computers. And what is the driving thing here is that some of the medical syndromes and difficult things that we were dealing as a society uh, could be addressed that way. But obviously, something like this would open up venues for... Um, computer to be able to detect what is going on in our brain and eventually put the data together to figure out what are we thinking. And also, um, conversely, you can have um, the, the stimulus is directly going to your brain. So bypassing your ears, bypassing your other things that God designed directly to your brain. And sort of a case in point that they're looking as a use case is a music streaming and I'm not telling you to sort of impress you or awe you or make you depressed here, but I think just like our, you know, in our families, we're dealing with, you know, different means and venues technology can impact. So you add that to artificial uh, intelligence and, and uh, virtual reality, and this is something completely at a different scale, directly impacting your brain. All right, so I'm ending now with the view of the world scene, but I think 
just in some of these notions that are going on in various things that we touched upon, the financial scene, geopolitical scene, the technology space, some of it in some way will culminate. And I think we're prudent to brace ourselves to the future in not too distant future will have some significant impact to us, to our families, to our children, perhaps to even the way we worship. And so I guess the question is, what can we do? So the first natural thing that you know, maybe comes to mind is like, well, resist change, uh, be an activist. But the chances are of us being able to alter or deter things already in motion, just there's a big strength behind it, is highly unlikely. Okay, so what else can come to mind is what we can do. I think others have thought about, well, maybe we can stock up. Maybe we can reduce our dependency on, on the, you know, goods in general. Um, you know, sort of board up and bring, bring your walls up. But even then, that's only so good because it cannot really withstand the wave of change that is coming. So what does the Bible tells us? There is one thing that every one of us here can do and is actually within our power to do, and that is to make spiritual preparations. So if we make spiritual preparations, that will make us ready to no matter what comes. And especially it's pertinent in times like this when we're facing uncertain future. So um, all that was to really frame up why I thought it's necessary for us to talk about spiritual preparation, and that is the topic of our study tonight. And uh, the structure, how I like to approach it, is I will uh, pose some key questions, and then my intent is, as we ask that question, that, that we can ask ourselves and think about it, and also compare to what the Scripture is saying. So, I'll give you a chance in your Bibles to turn to Romans 8, 14 to 16. And as you're doing that, our first question is, to whom do I belong? Romans 8, 14 to 16 reads, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. To whom do I belong? For Christians present, pay attention to the important qualifier in the beginning of this verse. As many as. As many as are led by the Spirit are sons or children of God. But this conversely implies as well that as many as are not led by the Spirit are not children of God. Keep that in mind. And having said that, I think we live in a society where, uh, you know, or it, the popular Christian thing to do is get your theology right. So we can say, well, we can, you know, agree with this truth and we can be, you know, you know different levels of, of agreement, you know, academically aware, theologically we agree on something, but I think there's more to it. So specifically, we it's not just the fact that the Holy Spirit has residence in Christian life. 
what these verses are telling us, it is very important in how the Holy Spirit is act, active in our life that we have relational, relational experiences with Him as well as personal encounters with Him. So how do we do that practically? So as I thought about it, the first thing that came to mind is really we need to be fostering keen awareness of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. There's just way too many loud voices and priorities in our head that you need to really foster ability to discern when the Holy Spirit may be moving or speaking to you. Okay, so that's sort of the first level. But then going beyond that, you know, we should purpose to make decisions whereby we're seeking his leading. And and then also, I mean, so that's kind of big decisions, which probably most of us are in that frame of mind. But also when it comes to everyday operation of our lives, we should be set up so that we're looking for and responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit because he may come and direct our paths in a different way that we were planning to. So to whom I belong for a Christian is really the answer is predicated based on the relationship to the Holy Spirit. And the fact that we are to be led by the Spirit is an area for each of us to grow in. We can always do better in that and also be better prepared in daily. Now, I want to consider those that are not Christians yet. The question to whom I belong is also very relevant. And if you haven't repented and you you haven't been regenerated by God, uh, then there are no other spiritual preparations or pursuits that are more important than seeking your soul salvation and until you can claim your Christ's. So in that very important pursuit, the question to you is, what is holding you back? So this uh, concludes the first section where the question was, to whom do I belong? So in your Bibles, if you want to turn to 1 John 2, 15 and 16, And the question is, whom do I love? <clears throat> First John two fifteen and 16 read, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the last of the flesh, and the last of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Whom do I love? The verses we read are talking about the exclusivity of the love for God and how loving the world displaces the love for God. So for Christian, the answer to the question, whom do I love, is actually a multiple choice. It's either the Lord God or the world and everything else. And we get to choose only one. So whom do I love, for Christian, is really followed with a question is, to what extent is my love for God? And so consider uh, as if there is a dial indicator in your life, and that is showing us how is my love for God. And I'm sure it varies from day to day or season to season, but 
it's a good indicator, spiritual indicator, how well we're doing. So now consider for yourself, wherever your dial is at this present time, how far is it away from the maximum, either maximum that has ever been or maximum that it can be. Um, and also consider your dial and its position. Where is it at when it comes to delighting in God and loving the things of God? And so in that vein, consider what is our motivation when we decide to engage something uh, that is spiritual, whether it's personally drawing to, to, to engage in personal worship or in collective worship like today. Um, are we drawn to God from a fervent uh, desire uh, for Him, or are we uh, doing so out of mere obligation to keep our relationship with Him warm? So um, I'd like you to turn to Mark twelve twenty nine to thirty one. Mark twelve twenty nine to thirty one. And as you're doing that, let me just frame. Uh, we're continuing to look at to what extent is my love for God. Um, and here uh, we read uh, Mark recorded a question that scri- described as Jesus that is paraphrased as which commandment is the most important of all. And here's the answer. Mark twelve twenty nine to 31. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second one is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. To what extent is my love for God? Jesus establishes that on these two commandments uh, that are love relationship ones, they are the most important, and if you get them right, you're going to get all of them right. All of the other commandments fall in place. But if love is lacking, then it doesn't matter how what else we're doing or how big it is, even spiritually important. Nothing can compensate for the lack of fervent love. And let me kind of uh, assert this, uh, this is really, this statement is really drawn from how Jesus in Revelations is rebuking the the church in Ephesus, where he tells them that they left their first love, and he enumerated all the big and important things that they were doing, the spiritual things, and, and basically the bottom line was, unless they return to their first love and repent, he would remove their candlestick from them. So uh, it's important to really kind of position ourselves and say, how are we doing in our uh, love for God? So just uh, 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 digging a little bit deeper into the verses that we read, uh, first of all, there's a personal emphasis. It's you shall love your God, you and your God. The secondly, the nature of the love being talked about is agape. And you heard that and it was preached on not too long ago. But some of the key words that I kind of have circled around this love is the love of intelligence and purpose of sacrifice and hard decisions. 
love of intelligence, purpose, sacrifice, and hard decisions. That's the love that we're asked to love God in the agape love, the way he loves us. So um, you can also see that it, it circles, you know, how much shall we love him as all. All means nothing holding back. All means no incompleteness. And furthermore, uh, the with all phrase is repeated uh, before each noun, which places equal emphasis on each of our faculties um, in with which we are to love God. So, thou shalt love thy, the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. So, think about how you can love God equally with each one of these faculties. So, the commandment as Jesus gave them here, is I don't know of any person that ever lived that actually can honestly say they've fulfilled this command. It is um, like an aspirational goal, but not something that we shouldn't aim for. And I venture to say that this command, the first command, should be our first priority on a daily basis. And it can frame our our thinking and and help us to align with what God has uh, for us. So this concludes the second section, whom do I love and to what extent is my love for God? Um, the, first, the third section is how are we preparing others? So in this section, I uh, plan to consider how are we as parents preparing uh, our children? <clears throat> and also, uh, it, it applies to how are we as a church community preparing others uh, that are uh, in our fellowship to mature in Christ. So uh, we are currently undergoing the study of the book of Daniel, so I will not be reading anything uh, in relation to, to what I'm going to be referred to here. Um, but we find uh, uh, Daniel and three young men uh, separated from their parents in a foreign country, counter to their beliefs, being able to hold on to the to their faith in God and prospering. So what I want to do is take you back what happened before they got here. And this is not recorded in the Bible, but you can tell by the type of character traits they're exhibiting as to what must have happened. Firstly, they had to make personal preparations themselves, which we're not going to focus on necessarily now, but you have to assume that uh, to some extent the people around them, you know, that were participating in their upbringing, their parents and or relatives and or spiritual community must somehow have had a really profound impact on them to make this faith so real to them that and it was forged in a way that their characters were formed that way, that when they were put in situations where they were tested, they withstood the test and prospered. So how are we preparing others? Think think of that as we as parents, moms and dads, are together as a team preparing our children. Perhaps the preparation that we need to prepare them for is to have a spiritual wherewithal to be able to stand in hostile environments for their fate. And 
by the way, that is here now. That's not coming. And what's coming will probably be even harder. But that is here now. That's here in schools. That's here in the society. They need to have the spiritual wherewithal to be able to withstand in a hostile environments. But furthermore, um, and consider as a possibility that we may not be able to be with them. Just like Daniel and his three friends were taken away, that there might come a time that we may not have influence over our children. And hence, the importance of making the preparation that is due for what is up ahead. Um, I'm going to read one verse from Ephesians 16.13, so if you have a chance, you can turn to it, but you can just listen. 16.13, Ephesians. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. How are we preparing others? I guess as parents, as you size up this task, um, perhaps uh, as I read this verse, what stood out to me is maybe we need to think about it as having done all. And that's what we should be kind of framing our mind as opposed to settling, well, the time is limited, opportunities are limited, whatever we're doing is ought to be good enough. So, uh, and so what are the examples of things we could be doing? I'm kind of hesitant to do that because all of us can always do more. Even when we think we're doing, you know, whatever is adequate, we can always do more. But I'll list a few just that, that came to mind. Obviously, memorizing the scripture for our children is very important. They may not understand it, but they may come across things that will bring faith either now or things in the future, when they recall those verses. Um, Secondly, as parents, it's our responsibility to bring our children to the proper understanding of who God is. And thirdly is, while we have this opportunity, is we should work with them to cultivate uh, uh, situations that would... that would. grow faith in situations where they can apply their faith. And I think it's not something that's forced, but I think you kind of look for opportunities. And if there is an opportunity, what better thing we can do than to help them and be alongside when that happens. So the good news is that as parents present, all of us have this season uh, available to us as a window of opportunity, a gift from God, when we have ability to do something. We can nurture attitudes, we can help develop traits, and think of it as some pearls that are developed in their lives that will have eternal value. Think having done all. So now, uh, just switching gears slightly, how are we preparing others in terms of church community, is uh, Paul gives us a blueprint of kind of what was on his heart and how he was... Uh, passionate about building his church, building Christ's church. And it's found in 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight. So you can turn to it if you like um, or listen. So 1 Corinthians one twenty-eight, Paul writes, Whom, speaking of Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So this gives us insights on 
Paul's passion and Paul's laboring uh, with the people that he had oversight over. He he's talking about and in, in focus on an individual. He said every man and every woman. Uh, this was not just a collective preaching. He he had personal interactions with people and in preaching and teaching. And sometimes teaching is is best done in in a personal setting. And his objective was in order to present them perfect. Okay, perfect um, is implying complete. Either way, it's a great uh, uh, kind of objective to have, to have them complete, fully furnished in Christ. So perhaps we can think about those brothers and sisters that we come in contact with and the activities that, are, that are, we are involved with as to how are we preparing each other to be maturing in Christ and to be perfect or complete uh, individually and collectively, fully furnished in Christ. So, with preparations, or you know, this topic of preparing others, um, if it were only based on our best efforts, um, it would still be insufficient. Ultimately, we need to consider that we need to bring our children and we need to bring our fellow brothers and sisters to Jesus and commit them to his keeping and sustaining power. Especially for the time that may come that we may be absent from each other. Hebrews 7.25 reads, Wherefore he, meaning Jesus, is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he, meaning Jesus, ever liveth to make intercession for them. So Jesus is able to save to the uttermost. And I think that is implying whatever future may bring, it is uh, within his power. And, you know, within our preparations, if we get people grounded and in, in their faith in Jesus, that is the safe place to, to say uh, we have done what was needed. So that concludes the section, how are we preparing others? So, um, in conclusion, I guess we established that the times we're living in are significant and the future up ahead is, is something that we should be bracing for. And the best thing that the Bible teaches us to do is to making spiritual preparations. And if you think of preparations, um, they're not that haphazardly. This is not in a split of the moment. It's an, it's something that's done over time with intent and purpose. So topic we considered tonight that we did self-assessment on uh, is hopefully something that all of us can continue to think about as we leave this place. And I'll recap the key questions uh, that encapsulated that those areas that we looked looked at. To whom do I belong? Whom do I love? And how are we preparing others? So that concludes the sermonette. And now uh, let's sing from the Red Book Hymn 31, Holy Spirit, Faithful Guide.